Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. Conversationalist, and why you should never say bovine continuation when you mean cow's tail. From the book Etiquette in Society, in Business, in Politics, and at Home, written by Emily Post and published in 1922. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. Ideal conversation should be a matter of equal give and take but too often it is all take. The voluble talker or chatterer rides his own horse straight through the hours without giving anyone else who might also like to say something a chance to do other than exhaustedly await the turn that never comes. Once in a while, a very long while, one meets a brilliant person whose talk is a delight, or still more rarely, a wit who manipulates every ordinary topic with the agility of a slate-of-hand performer to the ever-increasing rapture of his listeners. But as a rule, 
The man who has been led to believe that he is a brilliant and interesting talker has been led to make himself a rapacious pest. No conversation is possible between others whose ears are within reach of his ponderous voice, anecdotes, long-winded stories, dramatic and pathetic, stock his repertoire. But worst of all are his humorous yarns, at which he laughs uproariously, though everyone else grows solemn and more solemn. There is a simple rule by which if one is a voluble chatterer, to be a good talker necessitates a good mind, one can at least refrain from being a pest or a bore. And the rule is merely to stop and think. Think before you speak. Nearly all the faults or mistakes in conversation are caused by not thinking. For instance, a first rule for behavior in society is try to do and say those things only which will be agreeable to others. Yet how many people who really know better, people who are perfectly capable of intelligent understanding if they didn't let their brains remain asleep or lock tight, go night after night to dinner parties, day after day to other social gatherings, and absent-mindedly prate about this or that without ever taking the trouble to think what they are saying and to whom they are saying it. Would a young mother describe twenty or thirty cunning tricks and sayings of the baby to a bachelor who has been helplessly put beside her at dinner if she only thought? She would know very well, alas, that not even a very dear friend would really care for more than an hors d'oeuvre of the subject at the board of general conversation. The older woman is even worse, unless something occurs, often when it is too late, to make her wake up and realize that she not only bores her hearers, but prejudices everyone against her children by the unrestraint of her own praise. The daughter, who is continually lauded as the most captivating and beautiful girl in the world, seems to the wearied perceptions of enforced listeners annoying and plain. In the same way the magnificent son is handicapped by his mother's or his father's overweening pride and love in exact proportion to its displayed intensity. On the other hand, the neglected wife, the unappreciated husband, the misunderstood child, takes on a glamour in the eyes of others equally out of proportion That great love has seldom perfect wisdom is one of the great tragedies in the drama of life. In the case of the overloving wife or mother, someone should love her enough to make her stop 
and think that her loving praise is not merely a question of boring her hearers, but of handicapping unfairly those for whom she would gladly lay down her life. And yet few would have the courage to point out to her that she would far better lay down her tongue. The cynics say that those who take part in social conversation are bound to be either the bores or the bored, and that which you choose to be is a mere matter of selection. And there must be occasions in the life of everyone when the cynics seem to be right. The man of affairs who, sitting next to an attractive-looking woman, is regaled throughout dinner with the detailed accomplishments of the young woman's husband. The woman of intellect who must listen with interest to the droolings of an especially prosy man who holds forth on the super-everything of his own possessions cannot very well consider that the evening was worth dressing, sitting up, and going out for. People who talk too easily are apt to talk too much, and at times imprudently, and those with vivid imagination are often unreliable in their statements. On the other hand, the man of silence, who never speaks except when he has something worthwhile to say, is apt to wear well among his intimates but is not likely to add much to the gaiety of a party. Try not to repeat yourself, either by telling the same story again and again, or by going back over details of your narrative that seemed especially to interest or amuse your hearer. Many things are of interest when briefly told and for the first time, Nothing interests when too long dwelt upon, little interest that is told a second time. The exception is something very pleasant that you have heard about A, or more especially A's child, which having already told A, you can then tell B and later C, in A's presence, of course. Never do this as a habit, however and never drag the incident into the conversation merely to flatter A, since if A is a person of taste, he will be far more apt to resent than be pleased by flattery that borders on the fulsome. Be careful not to let amiable discussion turn into contradiction and argument. The tactful person keeps his prejudices to himself, and even when involved in a discussion says quietly, No, I don't think I agree with you, or It seems to me thus and so. One who is well-bred never says, You are wrong, or Nothing of the kind. If he finds another's opinion utterly opposed to his own, he switches to another subject for a pleasanter channel of conversation. When someone is talking to you, it is inconsiderate to keep repeating, What did you say? 
Those who are deaf are often obliged to ask that a sentence be repeated. Otherwise, their irrelevant answers would make them appear half-witted. But countless persons with perfectly good hearing say, What? From force of habit and careless inattention. The Gift of Humor The joy of joys is the person of light but unmalicious humor. If you know anyone who is beguiling and amusing, you will, if you are wise, do everything you can to make him prefer your house and your table to any other, for where he is, the successful party is also. What he says is of no matter. It is the twist he gives to it, the intonation, the personality he puts into his quip or retort or observation that delights his hearers, and in his case, the ordinary rules do not apply. Eugene Field could tell a group of people that it had rained today and would probably rain tomorrow and make everyone burst into laughter or tears if he chose, according to the way it was said. But the ordinary rest of us must, if we would be thought sympathetic, intelligent, or agreeable, go fishing. Going fishing for topics. The charming talker is neither more nor less than a fisherman sitting next to a stranger He or she wonders which fly she had better choose to interest him. She offers one topic, not much of a nibble. So she tries another, or perhaps a third, before he rises to the bait. The door slammers. There are people whose idea of conversation is contradiction and flat statement. Finding yourself next to one of these, you venture. Have you seen any good plays lately? No, hate the theater. Which team are you for in the series? Neither. Only an idiot could be interested in baseball. Country must have a good many idiots, mockingly. Obviously it has. Full stop. In desperation, you veer to the personal. I've never seen Mrs. Bobo Gilding as beautiful as she is tonight. Nothing beautiful about her. As for the name Bobo, it's asinine. Oh, it's just one of those children's names that stick sometimes for life. Perfect rot. Ought to be called by his name. Etc. Another not very different in type, though different in method, is the self-appointed instructor whose proper place is on the lecture platform, not at the dinner table. The earliest coins struck in the Peloponnesus were stamped on one side only, their alloy, etc. Another is the expounder of the obvious, Have you ever noticed, says he, deeply thinking, how people's tastes 
differ. Then there is the vulgarian of fulsome compliment. Why are you so beautiful? It is not fair to the others. And so on. Tactless blunders. Tactless people are also legion. The means to be agreeable elderly man says to a passing acquaintance, Twenty years ago you were the prettiest woman in town. Or, in the pleasantest tone of voice, to one whose only son has married. Why is it, do you suppose, that young wives always dislike their mother-in-laws? If you have any ambition to be sought after in society, you must not talk about the unattractiveness of old age to the elderly, about the joys of dancing and skating to those that do not dance or skate, or about the advantages of ancestry to the self-made. It is also dangerous, as well as needlessly unkind, to ridicule or criticize others, especially for what they can't help. If a young woman's familiar or otherwise lax behavior deserves censure, a casual, unflattering remark may not add to your own popularity if your listener is a relative, but you can at least, without being shamefaced, stand by your guns. On the other hand, to say needlessly, what a half-wit that boy is, can be of no value except in drawing attention to your own tactlessness. The young girl who admired her own facile adjectives said to a casual acquaintance, How can you go about with that moth-eaten, squint-eyed bag of a girl? Because, answered the youth whom she had intended to dazzle, the lady of your flattering epithets happens to be my sister. It is scarcely necessary to say that one whose tactless remarks ride roughshod over the feelings of others is not welcomed by many. The bore. A bore is said to be one who talks about himself when you want to talk about yourself, which is superficially true enough, but a bore might more accurately be described as one who is interested in what does not interest you and insists that you share his enthusiasm in spite of your disinclination. To the bore, life holds no dullness. Every subject is of unending delight. A story told for the thousandth time has not lost its thrill. Every tiresome detail is held up and turned about as a morsel of delectableness. To him, each pea in a pod differs from another with the entrancing variety that artists find in tropical sunsets. On the other hand, to be bored is a bad habit, and one only too easy to fall into. As a matter of fact, it is impossible, almost, 
to meet anyone who has not something of interest to tell you, if you are but clever enough yourself to find out what it is. There are certain always delightful people who refuse to be bored. Their attitude is that no subject need ever be utterly uninteresting, so long as it is discussed for the first time. Repetition alone is deadly dull. Besides, what is the matter with trying to be agreeable yourself? Not too agreeable. Alas, it is true. Be polite to bores, and so shall you have bores always round about you. Furthermore, there is no reason why you should be bored when you can be otherwise. But if you find yourself sitting in the hedgerow with nothing but weeds, there is no reason for shutting your eyes and seeing nothing, instead of finding what beauty you may in the weeds. To put it cynically, life is too short to waste it in drawing blanks. Therefore, it is up to you to find as many pictures to put on your blank pages as possible. A few important details of speech and conversation. Unless you wish to stamp yourself a person who has never been out of provincial society, never speak of your husband as Mr. except to an inferior. Mrs. Worldly, for instance, in talking with a stranger would say, My husband, and to a friend, meaning one not only whom she calls by her first name, but anyone on her dinner list, she says, Dick thought the play amusing, or Dick said, This does not give her listener the privilege of calling him Dick. The listener, in return, speaks of her own husband as Tom, even if he is seventy, unless her hearer is a very young person, either man or woman, when she would say, My husband. Never, Mr. Older. To call your husband Mr. means that you consider the person you are talking to beneath you in station. Mr. Worldly, in the same way, speaks of Mrs. Worldly as my wife to a gentleman or Edith in speaking to a lady. Always. In speaking about other people, one says Mrs., Miss, or Mr., as the case may be. It is bad form to go about saying Edith Worldly or Ethel Norman to those who do not call them Edith or Ethel, and to speak thus familiarly of one whom you do not call by her first name is unforgivable. It is also effrontery for a younger person to call an older by her or his first name without being asked to do so. Only a very thick-skinned person would attempt it. Also, you must not take your conversation out of the drawing room. Operations, ills, or personal blemishes 
Details of the dressing room, for instance, are neither suitable nor pleasant topics, nor are personal jokes in good taste. The Omniscience of the Very Rich Why a man, because he has millions, should assume that they confer omniscience in all branches of knowledge is something which may be left to the psychologist to answer, but most of those thrown much in contact with millionaires will agree that an attitude of infallibility is typical of a fair majority. A professor who has devoted his life to a subject modestly makes a statement. You are all wrong, says the man of millions. It is this way. As a connoisseur, he seems to think that because he can pay for anything he fancies, he is accredited expert as well as potential owner. Topics he does not care for are bosh. Those which he has a smattering of, he simply appropriates. His prejudices are, in his opinion, expert criticism. His taste, impeccable. His judgment, infallible. And to him, the world is a pleasance built for his soul pleasuring. But to the rest of us, who also have to live in it with as much harmony as we can, such persons are certainly elephants at large in the garden. We can sometimes induce them to pass through gently, but they are just as likely at any moment to pull up our fences and push the house itself over on our defenseless heads. There are countless others, of course, very often the richest of all, who are authoritative in all they profess, who are experts and connoisseurs, who are human and helpful, and above everything, respecters of the garden enclosure of others. Dangers to be avoided In conversation, the dangers are very much the same as those to be avoided in writing letters. Talk about things which you think will be agreeable to your hearer. Don't dilate on ills, misfortune, or other unpleasantness. The one in greatest danger of making enemies is the man or woman of brilliant wit. If sharp, wit is apt to produce a feeling of mistrust, even while it stimulates. And perfectly well-intentioned people who mean to say nothing unkind, in the flash of a second, see a point, and in the next second, score it with no more power to resist than a teapot collector can resist adding another teapot to the collection. The mimic is a joy to his present company, but the eccentric mannerism of one is much easier to imitate than the charm of another, and the subjects of the habitual mimic are all too apt to become his enemies. You need not, however, be dull 
because you refrain from the rank habit of a critical attitude, which, like a weed, will grow all over the place if you let it have half a chance. A very good resolve is to make and keep, if you would also keep any friends you make, is to never speak of anyone without, in imagination, having them overhear what you say. One often hears the exclamation, I would say it to her face. At least be very sure that this is true, and not a braggart's phrase, and then, nine times out of ten, think better of it and refrain. Preaching is all very well in a textbook, schoolroom, or pulpit, but it has no place in society. Society is supposed to be a pleasant place, telling people disagreeable things to their faces or behind their backs is not a pleasant occupation. Do not be too apparently clever if you would be popular. The cleverest woman is she who, in talking to a man, makes him seem clever. A few maxims for those who talk too much and easily. The faults of commission are far more serious than those of omission. Regrets are seldom for what you left unsaid. The chatterer reveals every corner of his shallow mind. One who keeps silent cannot have his depth plumbed. Don't pretend to know more than you do. To say you have read a book and then seemingly to understand nothing of what you have read, proves you a half-wit. Only the very small mind hesitates to say, I don't know. Above all, stop and think what you are saying. This is really the first, last, and only rule. If you stop, you can't chatter, or expound, or flounder ceaselessly. And if you think, you will find a topic and a manner of presenting your topic so that your neighbor will be interested rather than long-suffering. Remember also that the sympathetic, not apathetic listener is the delight of delights, the person who looks glad to see you, who is seemingly eager for your news, or enthralled with your conversation, who looks at you with a kindling of the face and gives you spontaneous and undivided attention, is the one to whom the palm for the art of conversation would undoubtedly be awarded. Words, Phrases, and Pronunciation Phrases Avoided in Good Society it is difficult to explain why some people avoid certain words and expressions that are admitted by etymology and grammar. So it must be merely stated that they have and undoubtedly always will avoid them. Moreover, this choice of expression is not set forth in any printed guide or book on English, though it is followed in all literature. 
to liken best society to a fraternity, with the avoidance of certain seemingly unimportant words as the sign of recognition, is not a fantastic simile. People of the fashionable world invariably use certain expressions and instinctively avoid others. Therefore, when a stranger uses an avoided one, he proclaims that he does not belong, exactly as a pretended Freemason proclaims himself an outsider by giving the wrong grip, or whatever it is by which brother Masons recognize one another. People of position are people of position the world over, and by their speech are most readily known. Appearance, on the other hand, often passes muster. A showgirl may be lovely to look at as she stands in a seemingly unstudied position and in perfect clothes. But let her say, My God, or Wouldn't that jar you? And where is her loveliness then? And yet, and this is the difficult part of the subject to make clear, the most vulgar slang, like that quoted above, is scarcely worse than the attempted elegance which those unused to good society imagine to be the evidence of cultivation. People who say, I come, and I seen it, and I done it, prove by their lack of grammar that they had little education in their youth. Unfortunate, very, but they may at the same time be brilliant, exceptional characters, loved by everyone who knows them, because they are what they seem and nothing else. But the caricature lady, with the comic picture society manner, who says, pardon me, and talks of retiring, and residing, and desiring, and being acquainted with, and attending this and that with her escort, and curls her little finger over the handle of her teacup and prates of culture, does not belong to best society, and never will. The offense of pretentiousness is committed oftener perhaps by women than by men, who are usually more natural and direct. A genuine, sincere, kindly American man or woman can go anywhere and be welcomed by everyone, provided, of course, that he is a man of ability and intellect. One finds him all over the world, neither pretending at manners of others nor treading on the sensibilities of those less fortunate than himself. Occasionally, too, there appears in best society a provincial in whose conversation is perceptible the influence of much reading of the Bible. Such are seldom, if ever stilted or pompous or long-worded, but are invariably distinguished for the simplicity and dignity 
of their English. There is no better way to cultivate taste in words than by constantly reading the best English. None of the words and expressions which are taboo in good society would be found in books of proved literary standing. But it must not be forgotten that there can be a vast difference between literary standing and popularity, and that many of the bestsellers have no literary merit whatsoever. To be able to separate best English from merely good English needs a long process of special education, but to recognize bad English, one need merely skim through a page of a book, and if a single expression in the left-hand column following can be found, unless purposely quoted in illustration of vulgarity, it is quite certain that the author neither writes best English nor belongs to best society. Never say, in our residence we retire early, but do say, at our house we go to bed early. Never say, I desire to purchase. Instead say, I should like to buy. Never say, pardon me. Instead say, I beg your pardon, or excuse me, or sorry. Never say lovely food when you can say good food. Never say elegant home when you can say beautiful house or place. Never say a stylish dresser when you could say she dresses well or she wears lovely clothes. Don't say charmed or pleased to meet you when you could say how do you do? Never say attended when you can say went to. Never say I trust I am not trespassing when you can say I hope I am not in the way. Never say, will you accord me permission when you can say, may I? Never say, brainy when you can say, brilliant. Never say, I presume when you can say, I suppose. Never say, tintinabulary summons when you mean bell or bovine continuation when you mean cow's tail. But either way, this illustrates the theory of bad style that is pretentious. As examples of the very worst offenses that can be committed, the following are offered. Pray, Accept my thanks for the flattering ovation you have tendered me. Yes, says the preposterous bride, I am the recipient of many admired and highly prized gifts. Or, will you permit me to recall myself? Many other expressions are provincial 
and one who seeks purity of speech should, if possible, avoid them. But as offenses, they are minor. For example, folks, meaning family, cute, meaning pretty or winsome, well, I declare, or upon my word, box party, meaning sitting in a box at the theater, visiting with, meaning talking to. There are certain words which have been singled out and misused by the undiscriminating until their value is destroyed. Long ago, elegant was turned from a word denoting the essence of refinement and beauty into gaudy trumpery. Refined is also on the verge. But the pariah of the language is culture, a word rarely used by those who truly possess it, but so constantly misused by those who understand nothing of its meaning, that it is becoming a synonym for vulgarity and imitation. To speak of the proper use of a finger bowl or the ability to introduce two people without a blunder as being evidence of culture in the highest degree is precisely as though evidence of highest education were claimed for whoever can do sums in addition and read words of one syllable. Culture, in its true meaning, is widest possible education, plus a special refinement and taste. The fact that slang is apt and forceful makes its use irresistibly tempting. Coarse or profane slang is beside the mark, but Fliver, Taxi, The Movies, Deadly, meaning dull, Feeling Fit, Feeling Blue, Grafter, A Fake, Grouch, hunch, and righto are typical of words that it would make our spoken language stilted to exclude. All colloquial expressions are little foxes that spoil the grapes of perfect diction, but they are very little foxes. It is the false elegance of stupid pretentiousness that is an annihilating blight which destroys root and vine. In the choice of words, we can hardly find a better guide than these lines. In words as fashions, the same rule will hold alike fantastic, if too new or old, be 
be not the first by whom the new are tried, nor yet the last to lay the old aside. Traits of pronunciation, which are typical of whole sections of the country, or accents inherited from European parents, must not be confused with crude pronunciations that have their origin in illiteracy. A gentleman of Irish blood may have a brogue as rich as plum cake, or another's accent be soft southern or flat New England or rolling western and to each of these the utterance of the others may sound too flat, too soft, too harsh, too refined, or drawled, or clipped short, but not uncultivated. <laughs>